Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks very much, Sophie. Good evening, everybody. Um, if you could keep that passage open in front of you, if, you, if you've still got it there, Psalm 23, it would be very helpful. Um, we're going to have a look at it in, in just a moment. Let me just say that uh, I prepared my talk based on the slightly older version uh, of the NIV, where the words may be somewhat more familiar to you, but also because the words are more accurate in terms of uh, the Hebrew, he restores my soul, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and so on. So just a, a heads up on that. Um, in a moment, we'll see why this uh, psalm is so key in changing the way we see God and relate to him. Uh, all that's in a moment, but first, uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you've taught us that the scriptures, Moses and all the prophets, they speak of you. So as we think together now about the Lord is my shepherd, we pray that we will really learn together about the depth of your love for us, and we ask this for your great name's sake. Amen. Well, in our family, like I guess many of us, we, we watch the news and listen to the news uh, in the morning uh, pretty well every day. So there, uh, last Thursday morning, were Claire and I uh, at the breakfast table listening to the Today program. And once again, we were struck by how awful uh, some of the news is you know, each day, every day. Uh, first up on this program, you may have heard it, uh, was David Lammy, uh, the MP for Tottenham, uh, talking about someone he described as Mr. Big. Mr. Big, the man who may be responsible for mafia-like drug trafficking and increasing murders in London. And also in the news that day, and seemingly every day, uh, there was another Mr. Big, at least he thinks he is, uh, that's Vladimir Putin, for whom butter, if not Novichok, wouldn't melt in his mouth. And we also hear a lot from his partner in crime, Sergei Lavrov, uh, the Russian foreign minister, who either has a point or a lot to hide, it's not too clear. Uh, he's not quite as big as Mr. Big, uh, but he's pretty big. And by the way, partnering crime is a metaphor, isn't it? Uh, the fact is that the world has many partners in crime. Lots of Mr. Bigs who pop up in the news as frequently as bad weather warnings. And they're, of course, usually dictators uh, and criminal types, but they're also everyday folk uh, who have outgrown their boots, whose swollen egos, egos make life difficult at home for us, or at school, or at uni, anywhere on the streets. Egos, of course, know no bounds. So what have these bad news stories got to do with Psalm 23? I hope you're asking that. Well, it's to do with how the psalm came to be written in the first place. The big word is the context, and the clue is there in verse 5, if you want to look at it. Very key words. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
my enemies. And that's our first heading, the context. David and his enemies. David and his enemies. Enemies is the word, and King David had many of them. Now, we probably know about David's enemies. We know about the Philistine hitman, uh, Goliath, uh, beloved of school assemblies. He's the original Mr. Big, uh, as nasty as can be inspired <laughs> and imagined. Um, but then there were lots of other nasties along the way. Uh, there were nations like the Moabites and the Philistines and the Arameans and others. Uh, and believe me, if they'd had WMDs uh, in their arsenal, they would have wiped out Judah uh, completely off the map. The more things change, the more things stay the same. It was a French journalist who said that, by the way, in French. So, why is David so cool? Why is David so cool under fire, unfazed in the presence of his enemies? Well, of course, we have a picture here. It's a picture, uh, like one of many pictures uh, in this psalm, of God preparing a table. And it's very easy to miss what the table means. Now, recently, the most uh, elaborate table I've seen, and you may have uh, seen this too, uh, was on Classic Mary Berry on, uh, on BBC. And as you can see, that's our festival. It's actually at Leeds Castle. It was very, very elaborate. It was designed by Simon Lysett. But the table envisaged in the psalm is quite different from this table. Uh, it may or may not have had flowers on it, but it's not about beauty. It's about blessing. Not about beauty, but about blessing. Uh, tables in the Bible actually are often about blessing. Uh, families gather around tables for prayer, uh, for Passover, to acknowledge God as their protector. Uh, tables are a place where God provides, ultimately the, the communion table, the last supper table, uh, which Jesus uh, spoke with his disciples. So the consequence of this is David is not saying, David is not saying, look at me, what a great king I am. He is actually the subject of blessing. Now, this, uh, this comment I'm going to make applies to all kinds of, of, of leadership, but if you put a leader on a pedestal, before long, potentially, that leader uh, may think that they belong there. If you put a leader on a pedestal, before long, the leader may think that they belong there on the pedestal, like President Xi Jinping of China. I'm a king forever, all that sort of stuff. David, by contrast, is definitely off the pedestal. He's off the pedestal because that phrase, you anoint my head with oil, which is a key phrase, uh, that's a coronation picture. It means that Jesus, uh, it means that David is not a self-made man or king. His true kingship is not the result of a coup or a hostile takeover or a night of long knives. It's God who turns out to have made David the great king he turns out to be. You anoint my head with oil. So David is at a table. Of course, it's a picture uh, again. But the table picture is a picture of protection and blessing. And it's as though David's enemies are outside looking through a window at him, but despite their menaces, those enemies will not succeed. Why? Because he's blessed and protected. And that's why David's cup overflows. Have you thought about that picture? His cup overflowing? They keep on filling it up. Uh, it's a place of protection. It's a place of celebration. They keep on filling the glass up. Or God does. Celebration language. By the way, they didn't uh, drink bubbly then. Uh, they only drank bubbly in the middle of the 19th century, apparently, when it was invented. But apparently, and this is very interesting, um, near Jerusalem's old city, they've recently discovered grapes that are 3,000 years old. Now, I assume they're fossilized grapes. Uh, but fascinating, they have sequenced the genomes and worked out what kind of wine uh, the king was partial to. Chateau King David, of course. My cup overflows. I'm protected. I'm blessed. 
But am I really immune to Mr. Big and his nasty friends? And if we fast forward that to today, do you wonder what Messrs. Putin, Assad, Rouhani, Kim Jong-un, and the rest of the world's 49 dictator-like figures and the other nasties will be up to tomorrow on the news? Well, fear on. Fear on. It's scary. Not ultimately, though, as we'll see. Not ultimately. This is why David says in verse 5, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Again, reflect on that. That is a remarkable thing for a king to say, uh, and it's remarkable for us to say too. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this is jumping ahead a bit, uh, but it's the confidence David has before his enemies, and I promise we'll come back to it. But all this, you remember, was context. Why David wrote the psalm? The enemies. So now we can go back to the beginning. We've had David and his enemies. Now second, David and his God. David and his God. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why and what was David aiming at when he wrote these, not what you would normally expect words about his God? The Lord is my shepherd. By the way, those two pictures, one is Copernicus and the other is William Harvey, both people who changed our way of seeing, and both of whom who I dropped out of my notes at about four o'clock this afternoon and forgot to change the slide. Never mind. Um, but I put, in, I put in contemporary examples, and I thought you'd prefer contemporary examples. Um, in 2004, when Mark Zuckerberg invented Facebook and Facebook Friends, what was that? It was a new way of seeing friendship. And then in 1998, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, they set up Google. Uh, and in a way, it's probably as important to information as the discovery of the sun is the center of the solar system, which was Copernicus in my original talk. Of course, there are, there, are, there are lots of examples that we could point to. People have given us new perspectives, fresh ways of seeing. But this is essentially true of Psalm 23. You see, when David wrote these words, he wrote them under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and they were just as revolutionary as any later revolutionary uh, revolution in social media or technology. So let's think about why he wrote as he did. Why did he write as he did? Well, first, we know David knew a lot about God. That's evident. He was the king. He knew a lot about God. So he could, could have put his opener much more theologically uh, than we might uh, expect, perhaps something like, praise the creator, praise the holy one of Israel. But he doesn't, does he? He doesn't. So why does David settle for the unusual, uh, rather homely, the Lord is my shepherd? But second, did you notice David's up close and personal? Up close and personal. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd, he says. So why does David not use the traditional language, you know, the these and the thous and the holy talk? Well, he's wanting to describe the God that he knows personally and the real care that God has given him. So he chooses a picture, another picture, in fact, the very best picture he can think of, a shepherd, a shepherd. And here's the third thing. Some of David's life story is built into this as well. Some of his life story. You see, David knows how much shepherds care for their sheep, because earlier in life, what was he? He was a shepherd, wasn't he? He was a shepherd earlier in life. He also knows how wayward and unpredictable sheep can be. And it's quite clear that he is thinking of himself as one of the black sheep of the family, the black sheep. You see, the king had blood on his hands. That may surprise us, we'll come back to it. But like a shepherd, David knew that God never gave up on him. So this is an antidote, isn't it? This is an antidote to our friends who say, to know God, you've got to be good. To know God, you've got to be good. Have you ever heard that? To know God, you've got to be good. Well, if, uh, if you know that 
uh, that's not true, I hope you know it's not true, um, you'll know that if you're not good, actually you're already halfway there. Forgiveness is waiting for you. Forgiveness is waiting. Because good shepherds care even for the black sheep. Even for the black sheep. I wonder, are you one of those? Really. If you are, listen. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Even to the black sheep. So what's the king up to now? And where will it end? Well, it ends on a cross with Jesus claiming, I am the great shepherd, the shepherd who lays down his life to rescue the sheep. Now, those of you who know your Old Testament, and particularly the minor prophets, who are not minor, actually, they're just shorter. Um, Jesus is foretold by so many of those prophets, including the major prophets, Isaiah especially. But there's one section in Micah which is always worth returning to. Because Micah spoke of the great shepherd leader who will shepherd his flock, whose greatness will lean, lean to the ends of the earth, and who will be his people's peace. And Jesus says, to, to great astonishment of those around him, Jesus says, I am that great shepherd, the great shepherd announced by Micah, who lays down his life to rescue the sheep. When Jesus first said that, I mean, can you imagine the, the brouhaha? Imagine the shocked headlines on their breaking news. Outrage as Messiah hopeful Jesus claims to be the great shepherd God. Something like that. Uh, they were astounded. And basically, Jesus' critics, they were in the know. They were in the know critics. Pharisees, they knew their Bibles. They knew their Bibles. They knew this psalm. And the great shepherd of the sheep could mean one thing only. One thing. The Messiah, the ultimate rescuer. And all those years before the coming of Jesus Christ, David himself certainly knew this kind of rescue from God. And it wasn't just his enemies. There was uh, his waywardness, his adultery, uh, the calamities faced by his family, the civil war, to say nothing of committing murder. He had quite a record. But God never gave up on him. In every pain, every disappointment, an uphill struggle, God threw him lifeline after lifeline. So think of it this way, uh, David says. You know, we're, we're farming people, aren't we? we this is what we do. We're, we're farmers. Uh, practically everybody was then. Well, says David, we've got our hearts in the country. We know shepherds are devoted to their sheep. If a sheep gets lost, and you hear it bleating in the distance, what do you do? What do you do? You run off, and you bring it home. That's what a good shepherd is. He loves his sheep. And that, says David, is what I know God is like. He loves me. And that's why David changes the picture. The Lord is my shepherd. Some of you follow um, Tim Keller, the uh, American writer and preacher. Um, he's recently made the point on one of his blogs about one of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He says, whereas the New Testament often teaches by principles, the Old Testament often teaches by pictures. That's very well worth thinking of, and it's certainly true here. That's why we have these three snapshots of the kindly shepherd in verses 2 and 3, with the green pastures and the quiet waters. But in verse, th in verse 3, he restores my soul. That's the slightly older translation. He restores my soul. And do you know that is the gospel? That's the statement of the gospel. He restores my soul. He sorts out my life. He reshapes me. He rebuilds me. He guides me in paths, not the wrong things, but the righteousness. Well, can anything be better than that? That's the gospel. But it takes time. It takes time. Now, I've been a follower of Jesus Christ for 45 years. And I tell you, it's work in progress. So I just say to you, be patient. When it comes to us and God, restoration work takes a lifetime. It's happening, 
but for some of us it may not be that obvious to start off with, but the work is in progress. He restores my soul. It's part of the gospel. Now this is a very bold thing for David to say, being king, and it's a bold thing for us to say today, especially at those times when the sun goes behind the clouds and I mess up uh, or someone messes me up. For the truth is, if the Lord is my shepherd and I let him be, I shall not ultimately want for anything. Nothing will stop me getting into heaven where there's a new, real world waiting for us. And all that's, all that's piled into David's intended change to our way of seeing God. Now, if, in case uh, any of us are thinking this is all pie in the sky when you die, uh, we have verse 4. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, I was in Israel a few years ago, and um, a guy pointed out to me at a distance, a narrow gorge in the desert, uh, this one, uh, thought by some to be the place to which uh, David refers. That's the valley of the shadow of death. It's where the road narrows down, and with steep rocks either side, it's still dangerous for sheep to pass. And many of those sheep panic and get themselves properly stuck. And that's why the shepherd needs his, his rod and his staff to, to yank them, them out. Now, whether or not that is the real place, uh, we don't know. But we know certainly the, the principle of the place is right. So look at this confidence in God. Even at times of panic, when the rocks are steep and the road spells danger, David doesn't say, help, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. He says, with all confidence, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now this means, of course, that the divine shepherd has his own tools of rescue ready and waiting to hand, which means whenever we get stuck in life, in whatever way, we should remember that. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. However big, however demanding the situation is, we can ask God for any kind of help. Now don't you think that's really uh, a kind of deep spiritual attitude and isn't it important at the moment I mean turn on the news uh, we may do but don't we sometimes dread it even Brexit sounds like a knife dipped in blood sometimes and every day there's much worse than Brexit to hear David and his enemies David and his God finally David and us David and us and I say David and us rather than God and us as David has a message that he doesn't want us to miss you see, uh, inevitably, uh, by inevitably, I mean this is going to happen to all of us, uh, there will be times when danger comes close and for whatever reasons we become very vulnerable. It's part of the life deal. Now, perhaps some of us are going through a storm right now. It's always possible uh, in a situation like ours. And there are many bad news stories, uh, even amongst our own congregation. So for a believer, this is an important question. In a crisis, in a real crisis, a real life crisis, to whom can we turn? This is partly what David has in mind. To whom did, then did David turn? To whom, following his instruction, have countless numbers of all God's people, known and unknown, turned in the 3,000 years since his time? King David's own words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is the one who leads me, guides me, restores my soul. And that's what David wants us to learn, and learn it real quick and real deep. It doesn't promise immunity from suffering, but in that suffering, the trustworthy care of God to guide me through and see me through 
all the way to heaven. All the way to heaven. I want to say this sensitively and thoughtfully. God's people should think a lot about heaven. We should think a lot about heaven. Your ticket's been bought, the journey's planned, the time's passing quickly, and it won't be long. You belong to heaven, not to earth, not any longer. Soon term will be over, and the holidays will begin. Think about heaven, just like verse 6 says. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, surely is a very big word. Surely, without doubt, no question about it. Goodness and mercy, goodness means the absolute kindness of God. Mercy, his forgiveness. The house of the Lord, heaven itself. Like David's cup, this wine of blessing which will never run out. Uh, and so let me ask you as I ask myself, how are we doing? Honestly, how are we doing with our walk with the great shepherd of the sheep? As I say, uh, sooner or later, um, we will all go through tough, demanding, stretching, even agonizing times. Somebody may be going through those times right now. And it is then, this psalm says, the difference between knowing God and simply knowing about God makes all the difference. I wonder if you got that. You see, to go back to the swollen egos of this world, the Mr. Biggs, from those who have the power to practically destroy the planet to those who simply but painfully blight our daily lives, ultimately, they will not win. They will not win because the Lord's our shepherd. He cares so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, to die for us, to be our redeemer, and one day to remake the world as a new heaven and a new earth, God dwelling with his people, and in it he will exclude, absolutely exclude, no doubt about it, he will exclude all evil. And that is the good news that we, and not just the despots, need to hear. For in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table before me, a table of blessing. How else could it be with such a God? For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's be quiet together. Uh, just a moment to reflect and think, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Our great and loving Shepherd God, we want to thank you for your immense care and love for us. And Lord, for any of who are facing storms right now, we want to pray equally that you will draw particularly close to them. And we commit to you our world dominated by many bad people and with many needs, praying that the good news of Jesus Christ would seep into every corner, releasing them and many from suffering and bringing glory to your name for Jesus' sake. Amen. Oh,